0: Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series.
1: Hey, uh, this morning I have the uh, great honor to uh, introduce our guest speakers. Pastor Ben has kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit. She is uh, the executive director of Amira Incorporated, Um, and Amira, as you heard, is a— is a phenomenal organization that we've partnered with um, that serves women in New England who have been rescued from the commercial sex trade. Um, Mary uh, Spetta is uh, is the executive director. She's been that for uh, almost a year. Uh, prior to that, with Amira, she was the chief impact officer, and I'm going to have to ask her at some point what that really means. Uh, but uh, she uh, she's been with Amira for about five years. Um, she's a smart lady. Um, I, I was looking at her resume, and she um, got her bachelor's degree from our good friends at Gordon College, another one of our partners. Um, she got uh, a master's degree from Boston University Administration, and, and now I feel really inadequate. She's currently working in her spare time on a doctorate in law and policy. She's, she's very, very, very passionate about what Amira does. And it is our great honor to have her with us. Would you give a warm Cape Cod Church welcome to Mary Spetta from Amira?
0: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you all this morning. Thank you so much, uh, not only for having me, but for partnering with us at Amira. As has already been mentioned this morning, we provide exit and aftercare services for women who have experienced sex trafficking, uh, commercial sexual exploitation, and different forms of exploitation in the commercial sex trade or what you might be familiar with under the term prostitution. Um, Human trafficking and sex trafficking in particular is a massive global problem. The International Labour Organization just produced its 2022 report and in the 2022 report, it showed that 50 million people worldwide are being exploited and trafficked. The majority of them are being exploited through this form of sex trafficking. That's 10 million up from five years ago. 50 million people. And the United States is no stranger to sex trafficking. We work with the FBI and with Homeland Security. And we know that sex trafficking happens in every town in America, not just every city or large municipality, but every town. There's this common phrase that prostitution is the world's oldest profession. It's absolutely not. It is the world's oldest form of oppression. What women experience in the commercial sex trade is a continued degradation of their humanity, a continued objectification and treating them as products. What we do at Amira is recovery work. And all recovery work, I always say, is identity work, because it is a process of remembering that you're a person first, not a product. And Jesus has something very, very powerful to say specifically on this subject. So we're going to be in Isaiah 61 this morning. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins, They shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. At this point in Israel's history, uh, where Isaiah 61 sits, the people of Israel have just returned to Jerusalem from their nearly 50 year exile in Babylon. Israel was subject to Babylon. The Persian king uh, Cyrus comes in. He defeats the Babylonians. He declares that the exiles should return to their city, to their homeland, to rebuild their city and their temple. This is around 539 BC. About 50 years prior to this, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Babylonian army. And subsequently, the royal family, the religious leaders, and Israel's elite were all marched off to Babylon, where they were enslaved. The mourning and the grief that we see in Isaiah 61 is not the shock and horror of that scene. Rather, the mourning and the grief in Isaiah 61 rises out of the return of the elite to Jerusalem and what they face. Israel is in shambles. They're trying to rebuild the city, their economy, the temple, and their community back to what it was before they were taken away, but it is far more difficult than they thought it would be. They're frustrated and embarrassed over their failure to rebuild and their inability to resolve the economic, political, and religious fractures in Israel. They're tired, and they're losing hope. When they look in the mirror, all they see is failure, fear, and humiliation. They've been freed. They've been allowed to return to their land to rebuild their lives. But how? How do you rebuild a life when all you have to work with is rubble? The reality in Jerusalem is nothing like what they expected. So let's look at these verses again and see what they have to say. Verse 1, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. The first question is, who is the me who's talking here? It's not specified, but we can assume that it's the prophet talking, and this is the prophet's mission. We know the prophet is talking to Israel, but what are the characteristics of who the prophet is talking to? They're listed in verses 1 through 3. The oppressed the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner, those who mourn, those who grieve, those who are in despair. That is a pretty bleak picture of a people. What is the mission of the anointed here? It's a pretty daunting task. The divine mandate here is to set a reversal in the circumstances of the people and transform their identity and their subsequent activity. The anointed is to deliver good news to the oppressed, to rap for healing the broken hearts, to declare liberty for the captives, and an opening so the imprisoned may find release. That word liberty in the text harkens back to the year of jubilee. This was a rare event that happened only every 50 years in ancient Israel. During the year of Jubilee, property and people held as payment for debt were returned to the families to which they originally belonged. And the use of the language here is clear that this proclamation of liberty or proclamation of freedom is meant to be permanent. In verse 10, Of Isaiah 61, the anointed declares that the people will trade the ashes marked on their heads, a sign of humiliation and of grief. They will trade them for garments of salvation and a beautiful headdress. Verse 3 references the Psalms, instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, instead of mourning, a garment of praise. This text is packed with references to stories and truths and histories that the people of Israel knew well. These references, what they're trading for what is being put on them, the people of Israel would have known that all of these are benefits only meant for honored guests, only for people in high positions, not for a fractured people. But here, the anointed is saying to a people crushed economically, physically, socially, spiritually, mentally, these honors are in fact for you. You're trying to rebuild, but it won't work until you stop looking in the mirror and seeing only what you have been through. You need an identity shift to move forward because the identity you have now is crushing you. For the people of Israel, To thrive in their freedom and rebuild, they need an identity shift. A few months ago, I was at our Community Resource Center, which is in Lynn, Massachusetts. And on Wednesdays, we partner with the church uh, that works in the same space with us to host something that we call Waffle Wednesday. We make a bunch of Belgian waffles, and women come off the street, And we sit around this giant dining room table, and we eat a bunch of waffles together, and we just do community. We do life. We share stories, et cetera. And in this space, we work specifically with women who are either currently being exploited in the commercial sex trade, they're looking for a way out, uh, or they happen to be able to get out from the cold and away from their trafficker. We have one woman who uh, just a couple weeks before this happened, we welcomed into one of our housing programs. And it was the first time in years that she was living in a safe place apart from her exploitation in the commercial sex trade. And we were sitting there uh, eating waffles. And I'll call her her Riley. That's not her real name. Uh, And Riley is telling me her story about how catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe in her life led her to trading sex in the commercial sex trade to stay alive. And then eventually getting caught up in an exploitive situation. She said to me, I would sell my soul to get out, but I've never found a way out until now. Maybe with you, maybe with Amira, I can get out. We offer a lot of resources at Amira, but really it's the community, the connection that is most important. And as we sat there talking, I, I asked her, can you tell me something that you like about yourself? And she said, no. I said, can I tell you something that I like in you? She said, no, my self-esteem is so low I can't even hear it said, okay, can I tell you one thing that you were meant to be? She said to me, how do you know what I was meant to be? I said, well, let me tell you and then we can talk about that. Says, okay. Said, you were meant to be cherished. Does being bought and sold feel like being cherished? No. What does being cherished mean to you? She said, it means never being bought and sold again. But I don't know if I'm worth that. It's an identity shift that's needed. So many of the women that we work with when first coming to Amira would describe themselves using the four-letter words they've been called in the sex trade, convinced that they are nothing more. Isaiah 61 has a promise of hope. of the rebel. Isaiah 61 promises this beautiful new city and a bright future for Israel. But as we know, these things take time. And the prophet acknowledges that not everyone will see this in their lifetime. There's no false hope here. That's the beauty of the promise. We don't have to wait to see the tangible fulfillment to experience the spiritual fulfillment of the truth that we are not a hopeless people. Our identities are not rooted in our circumstances, but in a massive, powerful, justice-filled, mighty to save God. And it's no surprise that Jesus chooses to read these words in the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry in Luke 4. The mission of the prophet in Isaiah 61 is, in fact, the mission of the Savior. In verses 18 and 19 in Luke 4, as Jesus is reading these words from Isaiah, he stops at a very particular place. I'll truncate it so that we can see the pungency. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor, that year of jubilee, that year when all debts are canceled, all slaves are set free, all land is returned to where it belongs. All things are set right. There is no false hope in Christ. What he says will come to fruition. When we come to the other side of horrible experiences, it can be all too easy to define ourselves by those experiences like Riley, it's easy to define others by the experiences we watch them go through. We reduce ourselves to what happened to us or to what we can no longer do, and this makes the healing and rebuilding process even more challenging because we begin to believe that it's not possible, it's not worth it, or we are not worth it. If you've ever faced an injury, you know what I mean, the body takes time to heal. So when we tear a muscle or break a bone, we have to care for that injury, put it in a cast or a sling, avoid using it for a period of time while it mends back together. And then when we're ready to start the physical therapy process, it can be painful and consuming. And depending on the extent of the injury, it can be a very long time from the moment we were injured to the moment we are healed. But once we're injured, if we believe that there is no hope for healing, that the muscle or bone that has been impacted will never function again, that we aren't worth the effort, we don't step into the healing process with the right mindset, with the right focus, that's what's happening in Israel. It's a problem of identity. We define and identify ourselves with our experiences and we often identify with our ruins. So much of our day-to-day work at Amira consists of sitting with women sifting through the rubble, showing her rather than telling her that her identity is more than this. For women who have bought and sold by people from every walk of life, Christians included, proselytizing means nothing. The words of Jesus have been twisted for many to coerce and convince them that this was what they were born to do, to be sold for their bodies. While you can twist the words of Jesus, you can't twist the actions of Jesus. And it is participation with Jesus in his actions, in his love, that is at the center of our work the philosopher Cornel West said, Pity is a spectator sport. Compassion goes hand in hand with participation. When I read the accounts of Jesus and how he shows up in the lives of people sifting through the rubble, I don't see a spectator, I see a participator, someone sifting through the rubble with them. Hebrews tells us we have a high priest who identifies with our weaknesses who has experienced what we have, who is the master of compassion by this route of participation in our ruins as we clean up the rubble. Jesus does not spectate on the aftermath of our poverty and oppression and suffering and abuse. He is the source of the healing journey. He defines our identity We have a declaration at Amira that says we believe that she is worth a clean bed, that she deserves a chance to make a living wage, that when she laughs, healing is happening in her life, that she is becoming everything her creator meant her to be, empowered, beautiful, free, strong, forgiven. We believe that when she discovers this hope, it conquers fear. We believe that hope lives here. We do not make that declaration lightly. We carry out our declaration because it is with compassion that we participate not of our own accord, but with Jesus and what he's already doing. We have a woman in our Connecticut safe home that has been with us for a little more than a year. And this, at the end of the summer, she celebrated her one year anniversary. And I was sitting with her in the kitchen And we were having tea, and she was telling me about this past year. And I know a little bit about her story. She was trafficked by her mom for years as a child. And when she was finally able to get away, she was looking for a place to go, and she thought that she wasn't going to be able to find someplace that was going to feel like home, that was going to represent the family that she never had, represent the relationships that she never had, the chance to be properly treated and cherished in. And when she came to our program last year, I remember she hardly ever smiled. She slept most of the time. It was hard to get her to take care of herself because she didn't think that she was worth it. She'd been treated for years as a product. And when I sat with her in the kitchen at the end of this summer celebrating her one year, she was a completely different person. And she said to me, I am not who I was a year ago. And that's the power of a year with people who treat you like a person. She's in school now, she has a dream to get her PhD. She has a job, she has an active community around her. She has surpassed her one year sobriety mark. And she is thriving in a place that is consistently reminding her that she was meant to be cherished, that she was meant to be treated like a person, like an Amira, like a daughter of the king, like our name means. Jesus does not see her as a four letter word, Jesus does not see her as a product to be sold. Jesus sees her as the child he created. Taking on that identity can be shocking and it actually can be incredibly hard and often goes against everything that we've been told in our exploitation. And sometimes it feels like we don't have a logical reason to believe it. I struggled with my identity for years because of my labels defining myself by what someone else did to me, free from abuse, but captive to my ruins. The narrative in my mind remained that for many years of child sexual abuse survivor, suicide attempt survivor, depression survivor, neurological illness survivor, commercial sexual exploitation survivor. When God first brought me to this passage, I was deeply convicted by this, and I wanted to see how deep this really went. I took a paper and I drew a line down the middle, and on one side, I wrote everything that I used to describe myself, and on the other side, I went through scripture and I wrote down everything that Jesus uses to describe and define my identity. And the narrative I just shared with you was nowhere to be found in the words of Jesus. And that's because Christ does not use the terms of survivor, but of thriver. And not in a superficial way, but in a spiritual fulfillment way. In a way that allows us to thrive in our identity in Him. The pieces of my story will always be with me. Our experiences shape the way that we see the world. They create opportunities for empathy and spaces to see God. We don't always know why we go through what we do. But like Israel, coming out of Babylon, if we continue to believe that we are nothing more than the rubble around us, we miss what Jesus has for us. No matter what, our circumstances always affect the way that we see ourselves in the world, but the unique position that we have as Christ's followers is that our identity does not change with our circumstances. Is this not a message of hope? Is this not the most profound promise that no matter what your circumstances, who God says you are, does not change? Is it not miraculous that no matter who you are, what you have done, or what someone else has done to you, that what Christ has done for you will always be greater. In both these passages, there is something very important in the context that we cannot miss in both Isaiah 61 and in Luke 4. These words are spoken to entire communities. The fact that Christ's uses the words of thriver and not survivor is important for us as a church not only for our identities but because it is for freedom that christ has set us free and this is the work of christ this is the message of the cross that jesus is going out to share with these women and he's inviting us to come alongside and join in the work The prophet comes with this message, not simply to see a transformation in their identities for their own sakes, but to take up this new mantle, own their true identity so that they can rebuild the city where righteousness and justice flourish. In September, we celebrated a graduation of one of our women who had been in our safe home for just about two and a half years. And I brought a a reproduction of two paintings that she created at her graduation, or for her graduation. They're on our table in the lobby. I'd invite you to go and check them out. She did a self-portrait of who she was before she came into Amira, And then on the other side, she did a self-portrait of who she was now. And her self-portrait of who she was before had things like self-hate, no self-esteem, addiction, lack of worth, things like this written on it. And her painting of who she is now has things like love and cherished and valued and known. And at her graduation, she said, Before I came to Amira, I was limited. But now I am limitless. The name Amira means daughter of the king, means female warrior. It's actually a name that has to do with an identity. And it's the identity that we pray every woman that we serve comes to find, that she is cherished by the king. We've been liberated. And through that liberation, invited to take part In Christ's plan to liberate others, to build up cities where righteousness and justice flourish. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your unfailing love for us, that when our circumstances are bleak, you remain true, that when we have been convinced that we are nothing, that when our identities tell us we are nothing more than our ruins, that you declare we are something and we are someone. That when we are crushed, the hope that we will still see the fulfillment of your promises is not a false hope, but one that we can hold fast to even if we don't see it. We who seek you, we want to trade our ashes for garland, our labels for hope, our captivity for freedom, so that we can build cities where righteousness and justice flourish. Help us to rebuild our identities in this hope and to come alongside others on the journey. Amen.